there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 69. And today I want to talk about ideas and passions. Can ideas and passions lead to a source of income? I've also got some family stories to tell you and a few resources to share as well. Yes, after recording two story podcasts, I'm back with my usual podcasts, a bit of this, a bit of that, a few ideas to ponder, a few resources to investigate. So I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. said the last two episodes were story episodes. I told a few stories, a few funny stories in the first one and then a few stories about love and a mother's heart in the second one. And I did that because my husband Andy was home from school for a couple of weeks. He's a school teacher and he was home for the school holidays. And during school holidays I don't get an awful lot of free time to disappear into my bedroom and record a podcast. So I thought I would record a couple of episodes ahead of time. So I'm hoping that you enjoyed those episodes. But as I said, we're back to my usual way of doing things. So I thought I'd start with the holidays. What did we do during the school holidays? Well, this time we didn't go away. We didn't have any of our famous three-day holidays away. We didn't go anywhere exciting, get away from home and all the distractions that are around here. Instead, we just spent our days continuing to follow our passions. Really, there wasn't really much difference between the holidays and term time. It's just that my husband Andy was home and he just joined in. He got a couple of weeks to work on a few of his passions as well. And I noticed him on the computer manipulating a lot of software, making a few animations and other things for his school projects. Another thing I noticed was that everybody spent a lot of time helping each other over the holidays with their various projects. Charlotte, who is a digital artist, was helping my husband Andy with his animations. And she also made an animation for Sophie, an animation that Sophie can put at the front of her videos. It's really quite clever. It's a camera that she drew and it's animated and then And once the animation has played, Sophie comes in and introduces her videos. Sophie was so thrilled when Charlotte volunteered to do this for her. She was so impressed by what Charlotte had done for her and she kept saying, Thank you, oh thank you, you're such a wonderful sister. I don't think she could believe that Charlotte had spent a day doing it for her. Now Charlotte's very generous, but um, yes, Sophie was so, so happy with what she had done for her. Charlotte has also been working on the last few illustrations for my next children's novel, The Angels of Gumtree Road. I think that she's only got about three to go, three out of 25. She drew all the illustrations once before. They were finished soon after Christmas, but after we looked at them, we had another idea about them, how we could do them better. And so Charlotte went away. And she was quite happy to do the whole 25 drawings again for me. And I think these ones are really delightful. Well, the first ones were fine, but these ones are even better. But apart from that, Charlotte has had to continue doing her uni course. 
She got her results back from her first two assignments of this semester. I think she got two distinctions. She was just one point off getting a high distinction for one of her assignments. I think this is really good because if you've listened to my previous podcasts, you will know that Charlotte basically taught herself. She didn't have much interaction with me in the last year or two of her official school years. I didn't really know what she was doing. She assured me that she knew what she was doing, and it was really hard to question her about it without making her feel that she was being interrogated. I just had to trust that she knew what she was doing, and she knew the best way to go about fulfilling her ambition of doing a uni course, getting into uni, and she did that. And now she's doing the course and completing the assignments and getting good grades. No need to worry at all. I'm really impressed by what she's doing. I guess I'm also relieved because it does take an awful lot to trust children, especially when they have ambitions and they want to go on to tertiary education. And we might be tempted to control them, to give them more direction. But this is not what Charlotte needed, and I think we could have battled over it. But, as I said, she's doing fine. Now, Charlotte didn't start the school holidays off very well because she had her wisdom teeth removed on the very last day of the school term, and it took her at least a week to get back on her feet. And that's because she had her teeth removed in the hospital. It was surgery. She didn't have them done at the dentist. Now, Charlotte's 18, and I went along with her to the hospital. I was able to stay with her until she was taken into surgery. A couple of hours later, I was called into the recovery room. They said that Charlotte needed her mother. She was a little bit weepy. She'd regained consciousness after the operation, and it was a little bit too much for her. So I sat by her bedside, and oh, she looked very bruised and not quite certain of where she was or what she was doing, and she was in a bit of pain. Anyway, as she was lying there, her hand came out from under the blanket. She was shivering. It was a little bit stressful, and she reached for my hand. And I knew at that moment, Charlotte, even though she's 18, still needs her mother. That's a really nice feeling, because sometimes when our unschooling children are very independent, we can get the feeling that we're no longer needed. But yes, we are. They still love us. They still need us. Now, another person who has been helping someone in the family is Gemma Rose. She's going to be helping Imogen with a new idea, a writing idea. Before I tell you about that, I want to share the fact that I think that Gemma Rose has found her passion. And that is, she's going to be a writer, or at least that's her passion for the moment, because, of course, passions come and go. But at the moment, she is very, very involved with her writing. She and Sophie have just completed Camp NaNoWriMo. They've both written a novel during April. Imogen is also down Camp NaNoWriMo this time, but it's uh, Sophie and Gemma Rose that I want to talk about. Sophie almost didn't do it. She has a lot of things that she likes to be involved with. Her videos, her photography, her blog. She's always helping other people with their projects. And she didn't think that she'd have time to do Camp NaNoWriMo or the motivation. And the thought of starting and then 
not being able to finish and then it getting a bit stressful for her was too much. She said, no, I'm not going to do Camp NaNoWriMo this time. And Charlotte didn't do it either. She decided with her uni work and her surgery that it was too much for her as well. But then, two days before Camp NaNoWriMo began, Sophie said, I've thought of a wonderful novel idea. I'm going to do Camp NaNoWriMo after all. And so she did. Now, Sophie only wrote, well, I say only wrote, she wrote 50,000 words, which is the goal for NaNoWriMo, the main event in November. But for Camp NaNoWriMo, everybody can choose how many words that they want to write. There's no lower limit. But my girls always decide that they're going to write 50,000 words or more. Maybe it seems a bit like cheating to decide to write less, but they've written 50,000 words before many times, and I suppose it doesn't seem right not to try again. Now, Gemma Rose has been writing and writing and writing every day of the holidays. She spent hours writing. She actually wrote about 140,000 words in less than 30 days. She didn't have anything much to distract her from her goal. Sophie, like normal, got a bit distracted. And along the way, she wasn't that far behind, but she felt like she wanted to push ahead, get a few more words under her belt. And so Jim Rose offered to help her. And what they do is they have what they call word wars. They sit with their computers, they decide how long they're going to write for, maybe 10, maybe 20 minutes, and then they race each other, see how many words they can write in that time period, and see who wins. It doesn't matter who wins, because both of them get a good chunk of words towards their novel, towards their word goal. So Gemma Rose offered to do word words with Sophie, and they did a number of them. And this really pushed Sophie through the barrier and got her on the home stretch. So Sophie did finish. She got to 50,000 words. So why am I telling you all this? Well, I was quite excited that Gemma Rose has found a passion, at least for the moment. And I was talking about this with Imogen one day when we went out for coffee together. And this idea only popped into my head. Could Imogen help Gemma Rose with her passion of writing, because of course, besides being a musician, Imogen is a passionate writer. She's written a few novels, she's just got some in the editing stage, which she hopes to publish, and she's also got a writing blog. So we chatted about this, and we know that we have to be very careful with Gemma Rose. You can't just roll up and say, I'm going to teach you how to write, because Gemma Rose feels that she can write already. So we had to approach it in the right way. Would she like to share the passion of writing with Imogen? Perhaps they can do a few things together, some enjoyable things. I think making a suggestion in the right way is very important. So Imogen and I talked about her idea of sharing writing with Gemma Rose. Could she share some resources, share her own passion, inspire her? And maybe this idea could be extended to other young writers. Could Imogen actually write a course or put together a website? Could she give feedback to young writers like she's going to give to Gemma Rose? So lots of ideas going round and round our heads about this. But first of all, we had to get Gemma Rose on side. 
So we asked Jimmerus, would she like to help Imogen develop this writing idea? Could Imogen try a few things out on her, share some of her own writing ideas, some of her talents, her skills, her, the things that she's read, the techniques that she has learnt? Because Imogen has a degree, a Bachelor of Arts in Professional Writing and Publishing. She has a lot of knowledge about writing. Now Gemma Rose's ears pricked up. Yes, she would like to do some writing with Imogen. What sort of writing? Well, she's interested in character development, she said. And then she has a lot of other ideas. So Imogen and Gemma Rose are going to spend this term developing some of those ideas. See what works. What will excite Gemma Rose? I don't think that Imogen is going to give her a lot of assignments to do, which she expects Gemma Rose to do, and then she's going to mark them, that type of thing. I don't really know what they're going to do, but I know she's going to have to be very sensitive about it. It's going to be more of a sharing than a teacher and a student. She's going to respect Gemma Rose as a writer. It'll be interesting to see what she comes up with and how Gemma Rose and Imogen get on together working on this idea. Now, a lot of people say that siblings can't work together. And when Imogen started working with Sophie and Gemma Rose with their music, we thought that perhaps this was right because it did take a little while for them to settle down together and for the younger girls to listen to Imogen and for Imogen to learn how to deal with the younger ones without sort of being heavy-handed, without criticising what they were trying to do, how to encourage and inspire them and pass on her talents. And they work really well together, so I think that you can push through that barrier. Siblings can work together. They can respect one another and share an, a lot. Now we have a lot of ideas in our family. I've had a couple of new ideas recently which I'm going to share with you later. But before I share my own ideas, the ones I'm passionate about at the minute, the ones that are going round and round my head and giving me, and giving me this excited feeling, because it's really a delicious sort of feeling, thinking about ideas and then chasing them into reality. I don't think there's anything more exciting. You don't know where ideas are going to go. could be something wonderful. Anyway, we were discussing ideas on Facebook a week or so ago, and somebody said, how do we know if an idea is worth pursuing? What if there's no response from other people? How long do we persist with an idea before we give up on it? Which I think is a really excellent question. So I discussed this with my girls. How do we decide whether an idea is worth pursuing? Because we're always having ideas. And we can't pursue all of them at the same time. So what we do is we examine them. We mull them over. We talk about them with each other. We get each other's input. Sometimes at this stage we even refine our ideas. And if we're still excited about the idea, we start working out the steps that are needed if we're going to pursue that idea. Do we have the right skills? What do we hope to achieve? Would we really enjoy putting time and effort into the idea? Are we going to enjoy it? Or was it just a good thing to think about, but we don't really want to go on to the hard work stage? How does it fit in with whatever else we're doing at the moment? Is this idea a priority? 
do we have enough time for it? Or should we just note it down in our notebooks and come back to it later? Or will it fit in with something else we're doing? Or perhaps we can prune back on some of our other activities and give priority to this new idea. And when have we put the idea into action? How long do we pursue it before we decide it's a failure? If it's not a success straight away, should we give up on it? And do we have a habit of giving up too soon? If we don't get instant success, do we turn around and say, well, that was a stupid idea, it's not worth doing, and we lose confidence over the idea. We decide that it was wrong, and let's go and do something else instead. Well, perhaps we ought to give time to our ideas. Nothing works straight away. And if we keep chopping and changing between what we're doing, we'll never be successful in anything. Because things do take time. If we need other people to respond to our ideas, have we done enough marketing? Do they know about our idea? That's always something worth thinking about. For example, I haven't done enough marketing of my children's novel. I could easily say it's not worth doing the sequel because the first book isn't that well known. Nobody wants to buy it which is not quite true. People have bought it, and I have had some lovely reviews. But no, it's not a bestseller. I reckon it could sell better. I don't think that I have got out there and told people about it enough. I always get distracted by other things. That's just one thing that I want to do. So maybe that idea isn't a bad one. It's just that I haven't worked on the marketing enough. But I don't always think that success can be calculated due to other people's responses. How many books you sell, how many photos you sell, how many likes you get, all that type of thing. And if you don't get the right reaction, then you should give up on the idea. Now, I think there are other reasons for continuing with ideas, totally different ones. We can do the things for ourselves. What if we are enjoying pursuing the idea? It's still worth doing. What if we're still learning? That's another reason for continuing, because we might get better and better. We might get success out of our idea in the long term. I think it's a bit like my podcasting career. I have learned so much over the last 69 episodes. My podcasting has got better, I'm sure. And it is successful. And that's another thing that I'm going to talk about in a little while. The success of podcasts over blog posts. Of course, you might know that my daughter Imogen is pursuing her idea at the moment of becoming a successful online musician. She has to build up her success and her presence online bit by bit, but she is having a wonderful time as she's learning and she is getting some positive comments. And that idea, I think, is well worth continuing with. It's not earning her any money at the moment, and that will be important in the long term. But certainly she's learning, she's enthusiastic, we're all enjoying ourselves, and to top it off, she is getting some response. So this brings me on to the topic of getting an income from our ideas and our passions. Can we do it? I was talking to my children the other day about what kind of jobs they would like. They want to use their talents. They want to do something worthwhile. They also want to be free. They want to make their own decisions. 
They want to be able to generate ideas and go chasing them. Charlotte, in particular, would like to collaborate with other artists. So they're not against working with other people. She just wants to do it on her own terms because she realizes that collaboration is a good thing. We learn lots when we get together with other people and we share our talents. We can do amazing things on our own. We can do even more amazing things when we get together with other passionate people and pursue our ideas. I'm sure somewhere along the way, Imogen's going to be collaborating as well with other musicians. She's already collaborating with other writers as far as talking about writing and reviewing each other's books and encouraging each other along the way. But I don't see them getting regular jobs. Or if they do get regular jobs, they're going to want to move on, follow their dreams. They don't want to just go to work, have a secure, safe job, get a secure wage, and then spend their evenings and their weekends doing what they really want to do. Now they want to spend their whole life doing what they want to do. This leads me on to the topic of entrepreneurship, which is, I find, a hard word to say. And I've come across the word entrepreneur so many times in my browsing through the internet. It seems to be a word especially connected with unschoolers. A lot of unschoolers go on to become entrepreneurs. Now, what is an entrepreneur? Well, I decided to do a bit of Googling because you get an idea in your head about what a word means, but you don't really know the definition properly. And I read quite a few definitions, and they all differed a little bit, but somebody said that an entrepreneur is someone who sets up a business and they take a risk. But do they take a risk with money? Do they have a sum of money that they're going to put into a business and so they're called an entrepreneur. Or is there more to it than that? Are they risking their own reputation? To be an entrepreneur, do you have to have the courage to pursue one of your ideas? An idea that other people might think is silly, that other people might think is a little bit risky. They might criticize you for going out there and putting that idea into action. And maybe some people think that this is what Imogen's doing. She's taking a risk. She's finished her university degree and she's not looking for a regular job. She's out there making music videos and editing books and thinking about putting together online writing courses. That's risky. Shouldn't she be earning a secure wage? But maybe she'll succeed. Maybe she'll end up being an entrepreneur. Now there is such a thing as an entrepreneur course for teenagers. Now, I discovered this by reading... Uh, Luminara King's blog, Living the Education Revolution. I think that her daughter is signed up for this course. It's called the Praxis Teen Entrepreneurship Course. And it says on the website, Discover your passions, build valuable skills, lay the foundation for a successful and happy life. It's a two-month course, and it's supposed to equip young, aspiring entrepreneurs with the knowledge, skills, and experiences to lay the foundations for a successful professional life. And they describe entrepreneurship this way. It's a way of thinking. It's not about owning a business, selling products, or making lots of money. It's about choosing to be creative in everything you do. It's about treating life itself as an art. It's about learning to see ordinary things in an extraordinary way. 
It's about learning to approach everyday tasks with a sense of playfulness and adventure. Most importantly, entrepreneurship is about becoming a better version of yourself and inspiring others to do the same. I think that's very unschooly. It goes on further to say, no matter what you choose to do with your life, there are two basic approaches you can take. You can do what everybody else is doing, or you can think like an entrepreneur and create your own unique path. Through daily lessons and engaging exercises, our 60-day course equips young, aspiring entrepreneurs with the knowledge, skills, and experiences to lay the foundation for a successful professional life. I think I just repeated that last bit earlier. But anyway, I think that my girls are probably headed along that pathway, even though they're not doing the course. If you have a teenager who likes the sound of that course, it costs $249 to do, which I think is probably worth it, but too expensive for us at the moment, even though you can stagger the payments. I think you can pay it in three monthly installments. But I think that... Sophie would prefer to spend that money on some photography equipment to help Imogen with her music videos or for her own photography business. At the moment, that little chunk of money we don't have. So I'm not saying it's not worth it. It's just not for us at the moment. Of course, I'll leave links to that course and to Luminara's blog and her blog post about the course in the show notes, which you'll be able to find on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. Now, all this talk about entrepreneurship led me to another thought. Can I earn some money from my blogs? I've been listening to podcasts and reading websites such as Pro Blogger and Smart Passive Income and mulling over a few possibilities. I think that I've almost got a full-time job blogging and video making and podcasting. Practically every spare moment that I have away from my girls is spent on my Stories of an Unschooling Family circle, the things that I do connected with my blog. If I'm not working on my blogs or making videos or podcasts, I'm usually chatting on Facebook about unschooling, answering emails, or just recently putting together a newsletter. That's another idea that I want to share with you. I'm getting all out of order here. Because what I want to say before I get onto that is that the other day I wrote a blog post called Has Blogging Changed? I've been blogging now on my unschooling blog for five years. It will be five years in a few days' time. And I guess that's a long time when I think back to what I was writing about five years ago. Gemma Rose was seven and I was writing about such things as learning to write and learning the times tables and learning to read. Well, she could read, but she wasn't a fluent reader. And now I'm writing about totally different things, though I do speak occasionally about those earlier days. I go back and share memories. So yes, five years is a long time in a child's life and a long time in a blog's life too. Has blogging changed over that period of time? So I wrote a blog post and mulled this idea over. My podcasts are much more successful than my blog posts. But it wasn't always that way. Well, of course, I didn't used to have a podcast. But a lot of people used to come to my blog and comment, and we used to have some quite involved conversations. I used to write more blog posts. 
and I knew I'd have readers come along and I, they would stop. And yes, we would have conversations. But these days, more people listen to my podcast and usually the people that stop on my blog to comment stop and comment on my podcasts. And this led me to think, do I really need a blog anymore? Perhaps I should concentrate on podcasting. Maybe make the odd video every now and then. And then, of course, if I want to talk about unschooling, all I have to do is go over to Facebook, to my timeline, because that's a great place for talking about unschooling. I have quite a lot of unschooling friends, a few followers as well. I can post links to various blog posts, not just mine, but other people's. I can add links to resources, photos. People can comment, and it's really easy and quick. Do I really need to take the time to sit down and compose a blog post? So this is what I was thinking about. And I posted the blog post maybe two or three days ago. And though hundreds of people haven't descended upon my blog, I have had more comments on that post than any post in the last at least six months. A lot of people want to talk about how blogging has changed because I think a lot of people do agree. It has. A few people stop by to say they do like reading posts. Please don't stop writing posts. And I do like writing. And I've sort of missed that type of experimental writing, just sitting down, playing with words, starting with an idea and just starting writing and seeing where it leads me. Because usually when I do write a blog post, I write it for somebody. Somebody has asked me, can you write about this or that? And I structure it out and I, I write it. And though I'm happy to do that, it's not the same as pursuing an idea for its own sake, just going on a writing adventure, see where the words will lead me. I haven't done that for a long time. But yesterday, I had this big idea. I got up and rushed out to the kitchen and said, Girls, I've had a new idea. Nobody was surprised, of course, because that's what we do, have new ideas. I told them about it. I said, Do you know I have two unschooling blogs? And they didn't know. That did surprise them. I created a blog spot, Stories of an Unschooling Family blog, quite some time ago. And I'm not quite sure why I did this. I guess the URL was free and I decided that I would claim it as my own. You never know when an extra blog might be needed or an extra address. So I said to the girls, I'm going to turn that blog into a free writing blog where I'm going to share my thoughts, my ideas and moments in our lives, but I'm not going to worry too much about structuring the posts. I might not come to any conclusions. They don't have to be pretty posts. I don't have to write them for particular people. If no one reads them, it doesn't matter. That blog is going to be for me, but I'm going to invite people to come over and share what I am writing about, because some of those ideas might turn into videos or podcasts or proper blog posts. And the girls thought this was an okay idea. We decided we would mull over a few ideas for blog names because I can't call two blogs stories of an unschooling family. It's very confusing. But what could we call it? So we went through a few ideas. The back room, maybe, or the raw material, or the extra bits. Because I sort of thinking of this blog as a behind-the-scenes blog, a workshop blog. And in the end, the words came to me, the raw files. And because Sophie's a photographer, her eyes lit up and she says, wow, that's a great idea, Mum. That's the perfect name. Raw files, it's what we use for our photography. We take them into Photoshop and we do wonderful things with our raw files. Maybe I won't do such wonderful things with my blog posts. 
on my blog the raw files but you never know they could be the raw material for something else so yesterday I got very excited I didn't spend much time mulling it over going through those steps that I talked about earlier I didn't talk too long with the other girls or refine the idea or let it sit for a while or work through the steps can I do this do I have time for this I just got carried away with excitement and I went and found a template well Sophie helped me with that before we knew it before the morning had finished before lunchtime arrived I had a new blog with a new template a header a description of what it's about in the sidebar and I had my first blog post written and I felt really good I really enjoyed that put a spark back into my writing and then by mid-afternoon I had two blog posts written the ideas just kept coming to my head I wanted to write another one and I have a lot of things I want to write about just for me well not really just for me because they're going to be about life and unschooling and they may go on to become something better but I'm hoping people will come along and share that I have been pondering whether to give up podcasting whether to give up blogging sort of some days I feel very uninspired and I think this new blog might actually motivate me again because I need a new direction a new challenge but it's all going to add to the finished product it's going to be another part of my stories of an unschooling family blog so I invite you to go over to that blog it's at stories of an unschooling family dot blogspot dot com and if you forget that you can go to my regular blog and all the details are on my home page something completely different. I want to tell you about my son Callum's visit home at the weekend. Now you might know he got married last September to Casey, but you might not know that they moved away from home. They were living 20 minutes away, a 20 minute drive down the road and we could be with them. But they have moved further north, seven hours drive away to a country town, well just outside a country town. The country town is called Tamworth and they've just gone a little bit further north than that. Now I've never been to Tamworth but I've heard about it because it is the location where they have an annual music festival, a country music festival. It's not our type of music so we have never been tempted to go up there and join in but it's a big event and Callum and Casey actually moved up to their new home during the music festival week. It goes on for quite a few days. So they saw the festival at its peak. Not that that really interested them, but it was interesting in itself to see what their town would look like during the tourist season. So this was Callum's first visit home last weekend. He came by himself because Callum and Casey have four pets, two cats and two dogs. And it's really hard to leave home when you've got so many animals. You can't afford to board them. So Casey's coming home next week. She's going to spend a week with her mother because she also comes from down this way. But Callum had his few days with us, as I said, last weekend. He got up early, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was down here before lunchtime. We caught up with a bit of news, and then he took me out to lunch, just the two of us. Now when he did live at home, we were always catching up over coffee. That was one of our regular things, one-on-one -on -one time at the cafe. So I was really pleased that this is the first thing that he wanted to do. He spoke on the phone with my husband Andy about his plans a few days before he came down 
about what he was going to do over the weekend. And he says, we can do anything, but first I have to have lunch with my mum, which I thought was really lovely. So off we went. He had a favourite cafe he wanted to show me that I'd never been to before. He bought me lunch and we sat there for maybe an hour and a half, chatting away, catching up, talking about all sorts of things. And my son Callum started off at uni doing a Bachelor of Nursing degree. He was doing it part-time and working at the same time. And after maybe a year and a half or two years of part-time study, he decided that it really wasn't for him. He didn't want to continue the course. And the job he was working, which is at Aldi, they offered him full-time work and a trainee managership. So that's what he did. He transferred to full-time work. So we talked a little bit about his dreams, about his work. He doesn't want to work for Audi forever. He still has dreams. He's still thinking like an unschooler. We just talked and talked about all the possible things he could do that he might enjoy. He has done some welding certificates. He likes working on cars. Yes, cars are his passion. I don't know if any of the ideas are going to come to anything, but that didn't matter. We just had fun chasing them around in our heads. And I was just excited that he is also excited about continuing to follow his dreams. He hasn't given up on them, even though he's got regular employment in a regular type job with secure money. He's still thinking like an unschooler, as I said. Something else which really impressed me was he asked my opinion about a personal matter. And he said to me, Mom, I want to ask you something. I think I know what you're going to say, but I'd like to ask you anyway. So he asked me the question, and I gave him my answer. And he said, Yes, Mom, that's exactly what I thought you'd say. And it's exactly what I think as well. I just needed someone to tell me that. And I can't go into all the details, but I just thought, isn't it lovely that when our adult children leave home, that... They can still talk to us about these things, and they still cling to the things that we have taught them, things that they have absorbed during their upbringing, things that are important to us as a family are still important to them, even when they leave home and make a life for themselves. I want to talk more about parenting adult children. Imogen said that she would do an interview with me on that topic. I think we talked about that at the end of her last interview with me, so I might get together with her come up with a few questions and explore that subject a bit more. But it is awfully rewarding when adult children do come home. They make it obvious that they still love us, they love being at home. They still believe in the things that we have shared with them. We're still important to them. Now Callum is a really easy person to get on with. He came home and it was almost like he hadn't gone away. He just slipped back into the family. I found myself doing the same old things that I used to do when he lived here. For example, he spent all Saturday with his car friends. They've all got souped-up cars, you know, noisy things that potentially go fast, things that they polish up, take lots of photos of. They talk cars, mechanics. Got a few friends like that. And he hasn't seen them for a while because this group of friends lives close to us and not him in, at his new home. So the friends were going up to a place called Bathurst up in the mountains on Saturday. They were going up in convoy. And what they wanted to do was drive their cars around the famous Bathurst racetrack. There's an annual race up there which is very, very popular. Now the circuit is a street circuit. 
So there's houses along the way, and they couldn't go fast. They had to go around at 60k an hour, but that didn't worry them. They wanted to go up, do the circuit, take lots of photos. One of the people going up didn't take his car. He took his camera, and he was going to stand on the side, take photos of all the cars. These sort of things they enjoy doing. They were going to have lunch together, come back, and in the evening go somewhere for pizza. Now Callum got up very early on the Saturday morning. We didn't see him. He disappeared out the door with his car, and we didn't see him again all that day. And the thing that I slipped back into doing so easily was lying in bed that night listening for him. Was he all right? I don't know why mothers do this, why they just can't turn off and go to sleep until everybody's in the house. I don't worry about him when he lives at, up at his own home. I don't think, I wonder what Callum's doing today. I wonder if he's out late at night. No, he's living his own life. But when he's home, these are the things that do pass through my mind. I feel he's my responsibility in some way. I'm his mother. This is a thing that mothers do. And so I spent hours lying in bed listening, and he didn't come home till one o'clock in the morning. While I was lying there, I was wondering, was he safe? Going away with all these friends in their yeah, supercharged cars, would they get themselves into trouble? Would somebody speed? Would they have an accident? Because you hear a lot about people in fast cars and what goes on. Some people are irresponsible. Would Callum get mixed up in some of that? Well, I needn't have worried. Next morning, when I got up and Callum came out and we started chatting and I asked him about his day, he said that the police caught up with them as soon as they set off. Thirty cars in a convoy. The police wanted to know what was going on. And the organiser of the trip got out of his car and had a chat with the police and explained he was just leading these enthusiasts up to Bathurst. They were going for a good day out and they wouldn't be breaking the law. Well, the police let them go. But along the way, I think they kept their eye on them. They must have passed the message on from police to police all the way up. And when they all got up to the mountain... There were police up there keeping their eye on them, so I don't think I needed to have worried. There were people watching them. Not that they intended to break the law, but they didn't get an opportunity anyway. They all had a really fabulous time. But I was tired that morning. I felt a little bit like complaining. Why did you have to spend so long out? You went out, I think it was about 7.30 in the morning. You didn't get home to 1 o'clock the next morning. And you've got to drive home up to Tamworth as well. Don't you think that you ought to have come home earlier, got some more rest? Maybe he was being inconsiderate, especially as he was staying with us and wasn't in his own home. I could have said any of those things, but I didn't. I'm not saying they didn't pass through my mind, and I wasn't tempted to say something, but I thought, what's the point of saying something like that? We rarely see Callum. He had an absolutely fantastic day with his friends. He got a lot of pleasure out of that day. Yeah, he got home a bit late. I didn't get any sleep. But how many times does that happen? It's going to be a long time before I see my son again. I wasn't going to spoil it by complaining. He's an adult. He's also guest in our home. You've got to respect people. You can't just complain about them. don't want to slip into being a complaining mother. He might not want to come back. He might go home and say, I'm not going to go and visit my mum again. Slip back into that. I don't need somebody telling me off, telling me what to do. So I didn't do that. I didn't spoil, spoil it. And I think that's another aspect of parenting adult children. I 
been talking a long time, I can see already. I suppose it's because I've got a lot to share after having a couple of weeks break from my regular podcasts. I wonder if I can keep going and share my resources because these all relate to the third day of Callum's visit. On the Sunday, he wanted to go somewhere and have a family day out. Can we go for a picnic somewhere, Mum? My 23-year-old son. Was he 24? I'm not sure. Did he turn 24 this year? Probably. Anyway, he wanted to go for a family day out and have a picnic. So we decided to go to the train museum. It's not very far away, and that was one of the reasons I chose that place to go, because I knew he'd have a seven-hour trip back that night, and I didn't want to wear him out by driving a long way just to have a picnic. We hadn't been to the train museum for a couple of years, and we always love going there. We can get on some of the carriages. There's a lot of good displays. There's a show we can watch that features holograms. An interesting place, and they have a good area outside for picnicking. So he was happy to do this, to go there. I did notice that Callum and my husband Andy spent most of their time walking around together chatting about cars and sort of looking at the trains. I'm sure they were looking, but they were enjoying spending time together chatting. But that was all right. It was their time. The girls and I had a fabulous time, as usual, reading every single board, going on the carriages, absorbing everything we could. And so this brings me onto my resources, because when I got home, you can guess what I did. Well, I didn't do it straight away. The next day, Monday, I put lots of notes about that visit into my Evernote Homeschool Records book without telling the girls. Didn't want to spoil their day out by regarding it as an educational experience. But as I always say, that if you have a chance to write some notes in your book, it does make things easier. We could take advantage of all the things that just happen in our lives, make lots of notes out of them. Or if we don't do that, then we've got to find notes in another way. It could lead to us getting worried about it and forcing our kids to do things they don't want to do. So I got lots and lots of notes out of this, and it reminds me of the time that we went to the nature reserve. I talked about this a few podcasts ago, how I made heaps and heaps of notes out of that one picnic visit to the nature reserve, the place where we saw all the birds. Well, we didn't see a lot of birds that day, but it's famous for its birds. But on to the train museum. I went to the train museum website afterwards. I clipped a lot of information from that site into my notebook. Then I went to find some information about the holograms that they were used in the show. They're really clever. They look like real people. But of course they're not. They're just projections. What is a hologram? I clipped some information about those holograms into my notebook too. I wanted to find some information about each of the exhibits, the carriages, the engines. I didn't get information about every single one because there were too many, but I chose a few of them. And I went to a site which is called environment.newsouthwales.gov.au. It's an Australian government society, and they had a lot of information about all sorts of things to do with heritage. I have discovered there's a lot of good government sites. There's ones for nature, there's ones for facts and figures, statistics, all sorts of sites. They're worth looking at because they're crammed with wonderful information. 
Anyway, I found photographs, even though we had our own photographs of the carriages and things, I found some good online images, lots of information, things that we had read on boards, but I just clipped it into my notebook. One thing led to another, and I found myself on a website called Australian History Timeline. Now, this website has film clips. It has a little bit of information about the major events in Australian history and also in the bigger world. It has links to other websites. It's really quite nicely set out and it's a really good place to start, I think, with Australian history. Everything's set out in, I think, 10-year periods and you can click onto each one and see what information is available. Now, when you click onto the film clips, it takes you to another page. And some of those film clips are actually taken from a longer film or a documentary, something that's actually bigger. They've just chosen a few-minute segment of it. And once I started exploring those, I found my way to a TV documentary about Captain Cook because I started at the beginning of the timeline, just sort of dipped into it. Uh, the first part was about um, Batavia, which was a ship. I think it was sunk off the coast of Western Australia. And then I moved on to Captain Cook, who discovered, in inverted commas, eastern coast of Australia, because, of course, the Indigenous people were already living here. So to say it was discovered is sort of a contentious issue. But anyway, the Europeans first came upon Australia in 1770 because Captain Cook led an expedition out this way. He was exploring. He was trying to find the Great South Land. So the TV documentary is called Captain Cook, The Man Behind the Legend, and it's on YouTube and it's an hour long. We watched it all and it was very, very good. But later, I think it was next day, I discovered that that one-hour program is actually a condensed version of a three-part series called Captain Cook Legend and Discovery and all three parts are on YouTube as well and because we enjoyed the first documentary we're now watching the longer version I think it's worth watching it it's got extra information of course a fuller story and the presenter is Vanessa Collingridge and she starts off talking about Elizabeth, who is Captain Cook's wife. She was fascinated by Elizabeth. Elizabeth held their family together at home while Captain Cook, Captain James Cook, went off on his three expeditions. He was gone for years and years. Of their marriage, very few of them did he spend with her. Most of their married life he spent at sea. And in that time, they had six children. One of his children was born a week after he left on one of his expeditions and the child died very soon afterwards and he didn't find out about this until years later when he came back. Elizabeth had to bear the sorrow all by herself. She lived to an old age. She lived many years longer than Captain Cook because he was killed on one of his expeditions as a relatively young man. I think maybe he was in his 50s. So Elizabeth had a lot of years living as a widow and she buried all six of her children. She outlived all of them. But one thing she did before she died as an old woman, she burnt all of her letters from her husband, James Cook. And this fascinated the presenter, Vanessa Collingridge, and she did a lot of research. She wrote a book and from that book came this documentary series. 
You might like to follow up on that, have a look at it. I think it's a very interesting resource. I did post about that on my Facebook timeline, but I will also add the links to the show notes, and I'll also put the links on my Pinterest boards. So I'm almost at the end of another podcast. Before I finish, I just want to tell you about my newsletter in case you haven't heard about it. I'm writing a monthly newsletter, a Stories of an Unschooling Family newsletter. The first one I published maybe a week and a half ago, and it was received very enthusiastically. I've got some kind friends. Many of them stopped by Facebook or they emailed me and said they thought it looked wonderful and it was jam-packed with interesting links and information. Things I'd collected from the internet, things that I had read, quotes, news about our family, what we're doing, podcast notes from one of my podcasts, all kinds of information. But as I said in the newsletter, I don't want my newsletter to be just about me and my family. I want it to be a way that we can all connect together, that we can all help each other and encourage each other in our unschooling adventures. So even though I posted a link to Imogen's YouTube channel, hoping that maybe people would like to go along and see what she's been doing, I also said that I would love to post links to other unschooling children's YouTube channels as well, and mothers as well. We've been talking about the value of mothers following their passions, how that's really important. So if you have a YouTube channel yourself or your children have a YouTube channel, please feel free to leave a comment or to email me with the address and the information, and I will add that to my next newsletter, which should be coming out in another couple of weeks' time. I've asked a couple of people to write a few things for the next newsletter. I want links to everybody else's unschooling blogs to be included. I hope that people will respond to the things that I have written, answer questions, and I can publish their responses in the newsletter as well. Yes, I don't want it just to be about me. So if you haven't already signed up for my newsletter, but you would like to, The sign-up form is in the sidebar of my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'd just like to thank all those people who have already signed up. It's very encouraging to see a new subscriber has signed up when I go to my email inbox. It really does make it feel worthwhile doing. So I think that's all I want to say today. I want to thank you, of course, for listening to this episode, episode 69. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. Please feel welcome to go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, if you would like to read the show notes, or if you'd like to go from there to my new blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, The Raw Files. Of course, you can find me at other places around the internet, like Instagram, Facebook Timeline, and Pinterest. I guess by now everybody knows where I am, but just in case, somebody has come along and is listening to this podcast for the first time. I'd also like to thank anybody that has written a review for this podcast on iTunes. So this time it really is goodbye. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I'll have another episode in a week's time, episode 70. Until then, trust, respect and love unconditionally. 